Hello and welcome inside the press box at Ozinga Field. Terry Bonadonna talking today with Thunderbolts manager Brian Smith. And Brian, I like to introduce you as though I'm hosting a regular talk show, even though this is just kind of a one one time a year deal between you and me. But uh, I would love to get your thoughts on the 2022 Windy City Thunderbolts. Of course, our season about set to begin. So uh, first things first, this is your third season as the skipper of the Thunderbolts. How has this year been different? How has it been the same from previous years? Well, this offseason was actually the first, I guess, true offseason where we were able to to look at the roster from the year before and plan for guys that we brought in mid-season to continue with the club. After 19, that was our mindset, and then 20 never happened. So we, we weren't able to bring back those guys that, that we really liked during the 19 season to roll over into 20 because 20 didn't happen, and then... 21 was basically starting new again. So it's been it's been exciting getting to create relationships with these guys from uh, all of last year, middle of last year, all through the offseason through today. Yeah, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you a lot about today was the fact that if you look at the, the opening day roster for 2022 and you look at the last day of the season roster in 2021, there are a lot of similarities. I've been in this league for over a decade. I think this is probably the most players I've ever seen held over from one year to the next on any team. Was that your plan when last season ended or did it just kind of work out that way? No, it, it really worked out that way. And, you know, we were we were a 500 team the second half of the season. And that's to me, that's not a good team. That's being average, very mediocre. But bringing in the, the guys we brought in, we saw a lot of success from them. And just the way they... The way they acted together, the way they got along, the way they started to mold as the season went on, we really liked the vibe in the clubhouse and the effort that they put forth before, during, and after games. And that's something that, you know, starting fresh is always great. You know, we do have new faces in the clubhouse, but the guys that are back were the guys that we felt were the 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 lifeline of the of the program last year. Yeah, it's interesting what you're talking about because if you ask me in the last day of last season. Uh, is this a championship team? I'd say, no, exactly what you said. They're a 500 team. They've been a 500 team. But as you look at each individual player on the roster, it's hard to find a lot of guys who you would say, well, that guy doesn't belong here. He should have been gone. He should not have come back from, from last year. So individually, I think all of these players certainly earned a chance to come back and, and be solid contributors to this team. But as you look at the team as a whole, do you see it coming together and being the, the team that you want it to be? That's, I mean, and that's obviously the the million dollar question, right? Everybody, everybody looks at their roster on opening day and is really excited for the, for the start of the season. And nobody really knows what's going to happen. If, if injuries happen, if guys underperform, you know, we do have guys that overperformed in spring training and that's why they're on the team. And we had guys that underperformed in spring training. And that's why they're not here. So there, there is still the element of surprise when we come into opening day. It's a, the first opening day for a lot of these guys, because we picked them up mid season last year after their their college season or this is the first time these guys are playing professional baseball with um you know manny garcia and um, sebastian selway guys have never been in this environment before so it'll be it'll be a new experience even though the team is very similar from last year opening day the start of the season 96 games it's it's going to be a little bit different too we talked last year a lot about spring training and how difficult it is because it's not a major league spring training. You're not meeting in the middle of February. You met some of these guys two and a half weeks ago. So you really don't have a lot to go off of. And you mentioned Manny Garcia. That's one guy in particular that every time I talked to you or talked to Kevin Santiago, it seemed like you were talking about a home run he hit 
in in practice again today or in the the, the exhibition game today. Um, that's a guy who maybe based on first impressions because you did have two catchers coming back from last year's team would not have made the roster. How much do you value what you see in these spring training games compared to what you know about a guy who might be returning? Yeah, really. I mean, sometimes you you want to ride the hot hand and that guy can, can carry you for a few weeks to win some win some ball games. And Manny has done everything we've asked him to do. He's done above and beyond that. He's very versatile. You know, in college, he played first base, he played left field, played some third base. And I like having guys in the team that I can trust to to move around a little bit to keep that hot bat in the lineup. And he earned his spot on the roster through spring training. And it was, it was, again, the kid's first four days that we had him, every exhibition game we had, he hit a homer. You don't really see that too often, especially when it's, what was it, 45 degrees and windy and snowy here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy, like you said, who plays a lot of different positions. He really didn't catch in college. Why does Manny Garcia come to the Thunderbolts as a catcher? He spent the offseason working on it. He's he's comfortable behind the plate. He's got all the athletic skills to be able to do it. Um, we're going to ease him into it and have him work with Kenny Matthews and Brian Ketchy to start the opening week off. That way he can work with two guys that really command the strike zone well, and he can learn from them and what they like. And it's it's something that we became a lot more comfortable, uh, you know, maybe five, six days into spring training because he proved to us that he can outwork these guys to get a little bit better each and every day. You're going to have him work with Brian Ketchy just because his name is Ketchy, so you figure he should be able to train a catcher. S- super easy. Okay, that's what I figured. Uh, you mentioned Brian Ketchy. You mentioned Kenny Matthews. Let's talk about the starting rotation a little bit. Uh, Tyler Thornton is the opening day starter. He is back from the last two seasons, and he was the opening day starter last year. Very good numbers last year. Not quite as good as in 2019. What do you see from him this season? Yeah, really. I mean, he's he is the same guy that he's been since 2016, since him and I got together in the Northwoods. And just a guy that's very reliable. He's dependable. You can give him the ball every five days and know that he's going to leave it all out there for you. His, the, the ability that he has to pitch is something that affiliated teams have, have talked about so much because you don't really see that out of a out of a big burly fella normally those guys are just straight power here it is but he's got a lot of touch and feel and for an opening day starter i mean if if we didn't have adam Moeller in 2019 big country would have been getting the ball in 2019 as well what do you got in the rest of the starting rotation so he'll be followed up by kenny matthews who's been here since 19 as well he's been the number two starter in 1921 and and he'll go number two this year again same same thing as Thornton. You know, he's very dependable. You can trust him to go 110, 120 innings and throw a ton of strikes. And at this ballpark with Schaumburg and Joliet right around the corner, like our ballparks are great for strike throwers. And Kenny fits that mold. And, you know, we trust him more than more than, um, more than than other guys in the league trust guys with that type of velocity. He's not going to overpower you with, with velo, but he's going to attack you with three, four pitches every single night. And in the three spots would be Garrett Chrisman. So we picked him up last year midseason from the Chicago Dogs. And he is he is the kitchen sink coming at you. He's got five, six pitches. He throws a ton of strikes. He, he competes in the strike zone. Being a two-way guy in college, he's super athletic coming off the mound. He can feel his position really well. And he's, he's always somebody who is who always wants the ball on days that he's not pitching. He always lets us know if he's available out of the bullpen. You don't really see that too often at this level, but it's nice to have a guy who's um, extremely reliable and durable in that three spot. 
Brian Ketchy will be our game four starter. Also picked him up midseason, and he had really good numbers after we got him from Schaumburg. But he is, to me, just a younger version of Kenny Matthews. He throws a little bit harder, but they have the same command. You can look at his his numbers from 2021 college through Schaumburg through our season. You know, he was around 200 innings last year, and that just wears a guy down. And his numbers got better when we picked him up, and he started to kind of work a little bit different than he did in Schaumburg to our ballpark's advantage. And we expect him to come out and do big things. And in the five hole will be uh, Miguel Asua, who was our number in that five spot last year. He, he'll be out of the bullpen game one or game two to to mix in with Kenny or with uh, Big Country to kind of relieve the, the bullpen those first two nights because he's been in, in the position before and is comfortable pitching on you know on opening nights things like that he's very excitable another left-handed starter three lefties in the starting rotation again this year and i'm i'm comfortable handing these guys the ball and it's always nice knowing that you can rely on guys to you know potentially have five guys in your rotation that could go 100 innings yeah and you talked about with brian ketchy in, in terms of innings numbers uh and i'm not saying brian ketchy is going to be this guy but it seems like every year you have a guy who comes out of college and he has thrown 200 plus innings and maybe his numbers aren't all that impressive. They don't jump off the page at you. But then you realize exactly that. This guy's been overworked this year when you combine the college and professional numbers. And they come back the next year and they're lights out. And we saw that uh, a little bit last year with Cole Belair, who only started two or three games with the Thunderbolts before he moved on to the Minnesota Twins organization. But, I mean, obviously good enough to get picked up in those few starts. And he was a guy who came to the Thunderbolts in 2019 after a long college season. Uh, and he showed flashes, but his overall numbers weren't great in 19. Again, he, he had thrown a lot of innings. Uh, with somebody like Ketchy or with other pitchers you bring in who are now getting their second taste of pro ball, and there are a bunch of them in the bullpen, guys who are getting their, their second year of pro ball who were coming off of a college season when they joined the team last year. What do you see from them, uh, and how do, they, how do they have that ability to take the next step after maybe being overworked the previous year? Yeah, it's, it's always fun to see those, those guys come back the, the following year because this is their first true off season of being on their own. They don't have the luxury of being at their division one complexes, getting all their workouts in from February all the way through May and then joining our team whenever their season ends. So it's more of a, a personal, a personal growth part of the, of their career that they have the ability to get better. Some get a little worse, some get out of shape because they don't know how to handle that lifestyle by putting everything on their own shoulders. And it's it's always nice to, to see those guys come back and how they've improved on their own and give them a little bit more credit than what they received at their schools. Because even some of these guys that we brought in last year didn't even have great school numbers. But they can pitch, and it is just uh, a comfort level um, coming out, being able to be yourself and pitch your game and not run a system that they may have had at school. What attracts you to sign a guy like that? If you say he doesn't have good school numbers, I would assume maybe a recommendation from a coach. But, I mean, if all you really have to go on is somebody's baseball reference page, what what attracts you to bringing them in? Really, if it's if it's blind, if I go blind on a player, it's normally um, hits per innings pitched or walk. You know, their whip is something that I think always plays true. Like you know, if a guy's a strike thrower for four years of college, whether he has a five ERA or a two ERA, if you bring him in, he's going to be a strike thrower. And maybe he played in a band box in college and the ball traveled really well. He's playing in Grand Canyon or somewhere where the ball goes 
thousand feet every time you hit it you got to cut those kids some slack and understand that they may have really good stuff they're just in a bad situation but when when they don't have good numbers and they're kind of on that 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 line teetering should they be playing pro ball is their stuff good enough to be here that's when um when references help a ton and you know the example would be lane shinitz paxton travis tingle was his pitching coach at toledo who pitched here the three years i was the the pitching coach here and he and i have a great relationship and he he gave me me his honest opinion on lane and said you can trust this kid in the bullpen he's got better stuff than what his numbers show knowing tingle pitched in this league and his referral saying he could pitch in the league made me a lot more comfortable to bring him in after Cole got picked up by the Twins last year. You've got a ton of experience in the starting rotation, a lot of youth in the bullpen. How does that line up for you? I, I've always liked doing that. I mean, these guys are, are are young, they're reliable, they can recover well and throw back-to-back days. It's a long season, but these guys have the ambition to get out of this league. They want to play affiliated ball. And a lot of these guys do have the stuff to do it. They just have to prove that they can get guys out at this level, and that's that's what they're missing on their resume. Let's transition over to the offense a little bit because we were talking about these pitchers who kind of can take the next step from year to year after just coming out of college. You've got a lot of hitters who came in and made a splash last year. Peyton Roberts and Rob Weissire, Jace Mercer. These are all guys who were signed right out of college last year and were immediately the best hitters on the team. When you have a guy transitioning from year one to year two, you talked about the off-season program. You're kind of designing your own off-season program now, which might be difficult for a lot of guys. But at the same time, now you're able to do your own thing. Uh, you're not you're not worried about what the program wants you to do. And now you've seen a year of professional pitching, which you would think would benefit a hitter. And at the same time, there's more of a scouting report on you around the league. So when you look at some of these guys taking their step from year one to year two, what causes a guy to take that big leap and become an all-star year two? Uh, and what causes a guy to fall off a little bit and kind of crumble in year two? Yeah, really, it's it's just their ability to make adjustments. And there's there's a reason why these offensive guys are here. You know what I mean? They, they, they either played really well at their school but not good enough, or they have had the inability to make adjustments. And, you know, you brought up Rob, who came in right away, and like a bat out of hell, he was hitting home runs and hitting triples and driving runs in. and Yeah, I think he hit more triples in like his first month with the Thunderbolts yeah. than he did in his entire college career. When, when well, that's that's our MO in the clubhouse. So we want to keep riding that even through our big fellas. But when we lost Rob, Rob Calabrese, Rob Weishire came in and filled that void great. And then Rob had issues adjusting towards that, that middle tier of the season where guys started to pick up on his tendencies and he just had trouble adjusting. And then as the season started to get a little bit longer, he started to get hot again because he started to make those adjustments and then the season ended. So Rob had an off season to know that these guys have the book on him. He has to be able to make those adjustments to attack strikes that, you know, Schaumburg and Joliet who saw him 18 times or nine times last year, how they're going to pitch him. And the teams that we didn't play last year, which we start the first 12 games against guys we didn't face last year, it, it, everybody is really just blind to how we get attacked and how we attack these guys. So it'll be it'll be really fun to see how he, Jace, Peyton, uh, Robertson, how they adjust to year two in the league. I've made a hobby of trying to profile hitters and profile pitchers too, I guess. Profile players in general. You know, you spend enough time in the league, you kind of get a sense for who's going to be good and who's going to be bad and I'm always wrong which shows 
number one, my poor judgment, and number <laughs> two, uh, that it is really difficult to figure out who's going to succeed from year to year. But one thing I've figured out in looking at postseason all-star teams and even midseason all-star teams year after year, the guys who have the most success in this league are guys typically who have frontier league experience. It's not guys who are signed out of double or triple A, who you'd think well, these are the guys who are going to come in and tear apart this league. It doesn't usually work that way. And it kind of goes without saying, rookies aren't usually going to have the most success. And it's not guys who are signed usually out of other independent leagues either. It's guys who have been around this league. I don't know if there's a reason for that. I don't know if there's anything that you've noticed in that regard either. But obviously, as we've talked about, you've brought in a lot of guys this year who have not only Frontier League experience, but Thunderbolts experience. As you look up and down the lineup, is there anybody that stands out to you as somebody who should take that big next step forward? Yeah, and and Kevin and I talk about it. We've had other managers, you know, when we were at the tryout, talk to us about how people believe that Dan Robinson can be the MVP of this league just because of his skill set. And the, the progress we saw him take, he kind of had that up and down season throughout the year. And when when he's on he is one of the best offensive players in this league his ability to take his walks his ability to drive the ball to the gap hit the ball out of the ballpark go the other way you know he does have an affiliated career as well where he had a very good two-year career with dodgers and um unfortunately being released and, and coming in here he was unsure of what the the frontier league was going to be like and he, i thought i thought he underperformed from his own expectations as well and how much he enjoys working, how much he puts towards um, towards himself and his self care. Kevin and I love the fact that he wanted to come back, you know, with some vengeance to go through this season with a chip on his shoulder. Do you see guys like Dan Robinson who have played a few years of, of affiliated ball and then then come to the Frontier League, not really knowing what to expect? Do you see them being able to coach other guys? This year, you only have two of them in the lineup: Jake Boone and Brent Spillane are the only guys who are coming immediately from affiliated ball. But can somebody like Dan Robinson take take them under his wing, so to speak, and say, this is the level of competition you're going to see in this league compared to what you might have been used to last year? Yeah, and that's, that's great that you said that because that was something that Dan had trouble adjusting to because he didn't know what to expect. And, you know, we saw, you know, opening night last year, a starting pitcher throwing 95-96. And, like, you just don't think you're going to see that in indie ball when you come from high a you just think everybody's going to be 87 to 91 guys that are overlooked when yeah that is the case a lot of the time but there are plenty of guys that have stuff that it's big league quality in this league that you just don't expect to see and then once you see them you start to give the league more respect each and every time you see our staff and other team staffs that have five six guys that probably should be playing at another level so when when Bren and Jake were here during spring training, getting their at-bats, you know, they both mentioned that they've seen more two-seamers than they saw in their affiliated ball careers because everybody there wants to ride their fastballs up above the belly button. And guys here are learning how to do that, yes, but also pitching to their strengths. And some of them may be sinker ball guys, guys that throw heavy cannonball fastballs. And they're just not, they're just not used to seeing it. It's been... It's been three and a half years since Brent Spillane saw two seam fastballs. So it's just something they have to readjust their bodies into. These balls aren't always just going to ride true and and give that perception of of rising as they come towards home plate. they got to get used to these balls coming back down in the zone. How do you talk about that with guys who are coming in? Because you've been in, in independent ball for a lot of years now as a player, as a coach, and as a manager. You've got a pretty good idea of how this league plays. And I know 
probably significantly different now from when you played 10 years ago in this league, but uh, you, you, you know the Frontier League. When you're dealing with a hitter who comes in or a pitcher who comes in who doesn't know the Frontier League, what's your message to them? Or do you let them adjust on their own to some extent? We, we have to give them... We have to give them some of our advice, you know, what we've seen. And yeah, I've, since 2011, I've been in the league and I've seen a lot of different guys have success here. And it's crazy because I was one of them who had underwhelming stuff at one point that got a ton of outs. And you can't, uh, you can't poo-poo that guy. You have to give that guy respect, even though you as a hitter may think you're at a different level than him. The numbers that guys put up in this league have to be respected because they impact their team's wins and losses. And when guys come in with uh, too big of an ego and think that they shouldn't be here, those are the guys that we have the hardest time pushing through their brain that this league may be better than where you came from. Yes, you came from high A, but the league as a whole may be better than where you came from. Anybody that we haven't talked about so far that you are really excited about that, that, that you think fans should be looking out for? Yeah, really. I mean, having the ability to pick up Brent Spillane in this past week, you know, he played for me in Rockford. Um, you know, he's, he's from Wheeling. He was the NCAA Division One College Player of the Year in 2018, third-round draft pick by the Reds. You know, he's had some some unfortunate luck to his, to his career with injuries, just things just nagging things that wouldn't go away and you know hopefully we can get him healthy get him right because he has every tool you can think of he's big he throws well he runs well he's got power um he has the ability to hit oppo homers you know there are a lot of a lot of good things in his game and if he has the ability to cut back on his strikeouts increase his walks then he's really going to join in on the the chaos that we bring to the base paths with the littles that we roll out there every night. So it'll be fun to see uh, to see him in the lineup with those guys. Yeah, you talk about the chaos on the base pass. Last year, we had this same discussion right before the season started. And you told me, this team is going to set the record for stolen bases. And you destroyed the previous Frontier League record for stolen bases in a season. So obviously, that was the game plan. It was the mentality coming in that we're going to get on base, we're going to run, run, run. Uh, is that the case again this year? Or do you see a little bit more power bets. I know you got Rob Weishire for a full season now. You talk about Brent Spillane. Uh, so there's a few more guys who I don't want to call them, you know, the plotting base-to-base -base type players, but more guys who are swinging for power a little bit. Are you still looking to run as much as you did last year? Or do you have a different philosophy? I mean, really, I mean, Daryl Myers is just as big as Dan Robinson and Brent Spillane, and those three guys run just as well as Bryn, Nico, and Jarris Richards. They're just way bigger than them. So it's going to be fun to see how the, how the, how the bigs fit in with these guys because they, they've enjoyed spring training, having the ability to let loose a little bit on the base paths. Um, and that's why we have so many versatile guys on the team because we're going to have to give guys days off because of how impactful we're going to have, how impactful we're going to be on the base paths. And it's, Again, last year was a different style that I had never played before, but getting into their brains a little bit on taking their walks more often, getting hit by more pitches will only increase our chances of scoring runs. And we may not have, we may not have guys that, like you said, that hit a lot of homers, but you know, Jace Mercer came in last year, played 60 games, maybe, maybe less than that, maybe 50. He hit five homers. So there's no reason to tell why he can't hit eight 
or Peyton Robertson, same thing, hit five homers. These guys have the power. They're just not as big as these guys. So we're not going to play this dink and dunk singles game. But after watching this spring training, you know, we have a, a strong emphasis on going first to third. And when we do take our walk, being aggressive, because just like we saw last year in spring training, it's still running true that pitchers spend their entire offseason worried about their velocity and getting as much on their backside as they can before they throw the ball. So it gives us a little bit more time to take advantage of their one fours, one fives to home plate so that we can steal a bag and get a guy in a scoring position. One of the things I love about independent baseball is that managers have the ability to come up with their own game philosophies and their own strategies. Uh, whereas affiliated ball, you don't get that. And even in the major leagues, everybody is kind of following the same blueprint at this point. And there's been a growing trend throughout professional baseball that you don't steal bases you've obviously completely eschewed that you're going in the other direction why is that you know we gotta we have to play to our surroundings and to the players that are available and that's like you said like we don't have the we don't have a minor league system to to grab guys to put the ultimate roster together this is this is fantasy baseball the best player available is who you take all the time and if each offseason you know, in, in 2019, the best players that were available were power hitters. So we loaded up with power hitters. And the, in going into 2021, the best players available were guys that had success taking their walks and stealing bases. And if we can exploit weaknesses in this league, like catchers' abilities to throw and pitchers' inability to hold runners, that's only going to give us a better chance to score more runs. And it's the one thing that, as a manager, I've tried to increase our offense each and every year because I'm I'm always confident with arms in this league, finding guys that can get outs in this league. I don't think that is as difficult as other people think it is. It's the bats that's always the most difficult thing to put together the right 11, 12 guys to score the most runs each night. A lot of changes in the Frontier League this year. Last season, a totally localized schedule. You saw Joliet and Schaumburg about 43 times each. <laughs> this year... You mentioned earlier, the first two weeks of the season, you're seeing teams that you've never seen before. So, I mean, I hope you've been brushing up on your, your French early in the season. I certainly have, uh, because you've got Quebec coming in week one. We're going to see Ottawa here right after that. So a, a lot of different looks this year. Is that sort of thing exciting to you, or do you like playing teams that you know a little bit better, that you have scouting reports on? Yeah, it'll be, I guess it'll be, it'll be great until we have a 16-hour trip that nobody... You know, nobody has nobody thinks is enjoyable. You know, we've never been a part of a league where we've had to drive to New York, New Jersey, and then to Canada and then back and have a game that night. So it's going to be extremely interesting how this all pans out. The localized season we had last year, I thought was fantastic. I loved playing Schaumburg. I loved playing Joliet 43 times each. It was fantastic being able to game plan against them and kind of play that that chess game with them each time we played them and just to see how our team stacked up. And it was, it was great going into win trust and putting a beat down on Schomburg and then watching them come back and counter punch on their way back to our side because they took their notes and were able to make their adjustments like we did against them. So it was, it was really fun to, to see, you know, um, Aaron and, and Jamie and myself, how we went back and forth with the three teams to, to punch counterpunch. Yeah, I mean, I, I quit traveling at a specific point in time for a reason. Uh, so I hope you enjoy your 16-hour bus rides. 
But one of the things that was fun too about those very divisional schedules last year is that you had four divisions, you had four division champions, they played in the playoffs. And when you look at a season like that, because you are playing your division so much, you know that if you've won your division, you've earned it because you've beaten the teams that you're competing against directly. And I know that the Thunderbolts division last year wasn't the best division. The Central, record-wise, didn't stack up very well against the other divisions. But then you get to the playoffs and Schaumburg blows through it as they always do. Right. So, you know, maybe the Central was a little underrated during the season. Who knows? Maybe it was just a fluky couple of weeks for Schaumburg. But this season is a completely different story because you have two eight-team divisions. The schedule is not as balanced as it was last year. And the playoffs are organized completely differently. Does that change anything from your perspective? No, not really. I mean, we still have to go out and and win every series. And, you know, there was a lot of a lot of controversy when um, it was the, the San Francisco Giants manager, Gabe Kapler, made a comment just talking about, we just need to worry about winning series. We don't have to worry about how the other team feels about it. We have to win the series. We have to do everything we can to put them in an uncomfortable situation and that it affects their next series. And that's, it's a, it's a wild way to think about baseball and to think about your game planning, but it makes sense that if whatever you can do to tire out your opponent, to make them a little bit weaker the following day, that may help them or may make them lose that game too. It's, it's an advantage. So I, I honestly hope that all managers in this league saw that interview with Gabe Kapler and it put a light bulb off in their head going, yeah, like we need to come out here every single night and do what we can to win and, you know, put the pedal to the metal so that we can try to weaken our opponents as we get stronger. Speaking about the Frontier League as a whole, once again, there are a couple of rule changes this year. Probably the most dramatic in terms of on-field play is the new extra inning rule. And uh, there's some you know, eligibility changes as far as assembling rosters and things like that. Looking at some of the rule changes around the league this year, is there anything that you're excited about? Is there anything you're a little nervous about? Uh, yeah, no home run derby is fantastic. When you play at this ballpark and you have the average height of five foot 11 on your team, it's very rare you're going to hit any homers in that thing. And at 10 o'clock at night when it starts, the air is a little thicker. The wind always blows in. It was tough, but you know, we, I think we were in four from last year. We may have hit one Homer. It's unfortunate. Maybe we should have hit more. It just didn't happen. Well, I think that was one rule though, that universally is the rare rule that players, coaches, and fans together, none of them liked it. So there's a new extra inning rule this year with the sudden death where you get a chance to either pitch or hit one run wins it. You don't score the pitching team wins it. Is that something you were in favor of, or are you at least excited about seeing how it plays out? Yeah, I mean, I was indifferent. I think there are a lot of different ways to make that sudden death game a little bit more fair because, you know, at the end of the day, I don't believe a team with a man on first has a 70% chance to score that run or a 50% chance to score that run against a back-end bullpen arm. I still think the advantage goes to the defense to not let that, that guy score. But situations occur where teams don't have a guy available to throw that that extra inning where offense may become the best thing for you because you do have a prolific base dealer on base and you know they're bringing in a guy who has a terrible time to the plate and a catcher who can't throw and you can move him in a scoring position without giving up an at-bat. And now you can have two ground balls to, to win a game. So there are, strategically, there are plays that will be advantageous for both teams each night so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how 
how it gets played out. Ryan, I'll let you go on this question. It's the same question I ask you to finish up our talk at the beginning of every year. Uh, we know you want to win a championship. We know, you know, ideally you're going 96 and 0. That would be your goal, not a realistic goal, but your goal every day. But just looking at the season as a whole, what do you have to do, whether on the field, off the field, in any way, so that at the end of the season, September comes around, you can look back and say this season was a success? You know, last year, when you asked this question, um, I think I talked about the health of the guys. And that was kind of everybody's number one priority was getting through the season without having COVID cases or guys get blown up with injury because they've had 20 months off. And this year, I mean, the the mindset will always be, like you said, to go 96-0, and 0, as unrealistic as it may seem. It's our job every night to go out there and try to win a ball game. But we know that the health of our guys having the ability to come back and win a series is always going to be the most important thing each and every night. And at the end of the day, if you win more series than you lose, you're going to be walking into the postseason. And like you said, having a an unbalanced schedule, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun for these guys to have a true minor league season traveling traveling internationally, which some of these guys have never done. I haven't been to Canada since the London Rippers were there, and I think I was there their last series as a Frontier League team. So hopefully Quebec, Troy Rivier, and um, Ottawa make it out a little bit better than the than the London Rippers do from 2012. I think it's safe to say that they will. <laughs> Brian, I think I speak for everybody when I say I can't wait to see this team on the field May 12th, 7.05 p.m. Central Time, Ozinga Field in Crestwood for the start of the season. And I definitely speak for myself in saying I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to talk things over with me and, and getting us excited for the season. Get your popcorn ready. It's already in the microwave right now. <laughs> it's ready to go. Brian Smith, Thunderbolts manager, thanks for your time. You got it.